What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Middle call! Hey, behaves! You know, I was thinking, John, it's, um, it's quite a thing having a, po- a sports podcast in 2020. When the biggest things that people talk about when you walk up to someone on the street, or you don't really walk up to someone on the street, when you talk to somebody, it's not the AL West standings. That's, um, that's not what's uh, anywhere near the news these days. I think the majority of text messages and phone calls – some odd people have been doing like Zoom, you know, Zoom happy hours and stuff. Maybe the Zoom happy hours are a little happier. Uh, but just your text messages with your friends, whether it's in different parts of your state, like we live in California, friends all over the country in different states, is tended to be pretty fucking negative the last, I don't know, 70 plus days. I think starting going into this weekend, we were like 70 days quarantined, shelter in place, or how, I don't even know how to quantify it anymore. Yeah. Just, yeah. Since the since the Rudy Gobert night happened in that like Thursday Friday, kind right, of. right, and then, you know, it got taken just in a completely kind of different direction with George Floyd, and then everything that's happened over the last I don't know forty eight hours. Yeah, well, the it's been a week. Monday's a week. We're recording this on Monday. It's a week since George Floyd was killed, and we did think about like part of me sometimes we're doing this podcast because we just we do a podcast, but you know to be fully transparent like we did talk like part of me sometimes thinks what did some of what i have to say or think about a subject like george floyd's death and the reaction to it is i don't know less valuable but we do have thoughts you have thoughts i mean we do talk about it i did think one thing i don't want to sound like everybody else just for the sake of sounding like everybody else to get our takes out that's not why we wanted to do a podcast we just did it because this is what we do. So we thought this is what we do. Then we should do a podcast. Um, but one thing I was thinking, and I do hear people say this a lot, like talk to each other, talk to each other to the point that it almost becomes cliche to say it. But I do think there's a lot of truth in it. Um, and I didn't really think about it until this morning that in an age where most of the people that I interact with, like friends are through text message. Coronavirus, shutdowns, riots, uh, protests, peaceful protests, no matter what. You and I have talked five days a week, right? Like my mom wishes she Skyped with me as much as you Skype with me. Not even yeah. a percentage. Like we, we just talk every day. And there, there's a small percentage of people, maybe no one in my life that I consistently talk to as much as you like visually talking straight to and there like are you said, the majority of conversations i have are definitely through text messages yeah and there are things that you and i disagree about there are things that we text about and sometimes it's like well let's just even if it's not like a major thing we're just dis- it's just like something we need to work out we're like let's just skype about it because it's just easier it's more productive there's no nuance in text messages and i remember when the shutdown started there were a lot of these like everyone's going to start working from home that's how that when we come out of 
shelter in place. Just companies are going to be shutting down office buildings and people will be working from home. And my feeling, my initial feeling on that, and it is still this, is maybe that's more efficient. Maybe it saves you money. That's not good for humanity. Um, and, you know, I uh, that's not directly related to George Floyd's death. But I did just kind of think about that today. Just there is even when I started, maybe it was because in my mind I started kind of feeling like saying, hey, you guys need to talk to each other is um, people need to talk to each other is cliche. But it really it's it's not like it really is the basis of solving every problem that I think has ever been solved peacefully. Rightfully. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, and we've talked, you know, during this stretch of Corona before George Floyd, like how much do we talk about Corona? And for, for a lot of it, unless it had direct correlations with games and fans being allowed to come and when a league would start, we weren't just going to talk about the everyday Corona. I, I know me. Yeah. I, I can't spend that much time on the news, not because I don't want to know what's going on. I, I find out what's going on. I get too angry and I don't like feeling like that. And I'm not, this is separate from George Floyd. This is on Corona. And it's just, I, I hate getting frustrated. Things are out of my control. So I've tried to have just a mindset of, listen, I'm just going to be positive in this whole thing. It's out of my fucking control. I'll do what I have to do. And I'm just not going to consume. When I hear people that just read about it all the time, it's like, I, I don't know. Like the rules are going to be the rules wherever you live. You don't, unless you're a senator, you know, you, I, I don't have like a small business that I, I'm worried about necessarily opening or reopening. So it didn't affect me that way. I, I didn't necessarily avoid, but I did not live in it every day. Like just bathe in the water of Corona. I couldn't for my own sanity. This is a little different. The George Floyd situation. Uh, you couldn't avoid it if you spend time on social media. And clearly I, I didn't, I knew it was really bad. You watch the video. And my first thought is everyone thinks it's really bad. And then you hear people think, well, clearly a lot of people think that most, some people don't think it's bad or right, or just historically racial injustice. That is not just not arguable, right? But everyone feels differently about it. And I think a lot of people think that a decent percentage of white people don't give a fuck, right? Just don't care. And my, my mindset's always most people, most human beings I've ever interacted with are definitely in my life. Don't think like that, but that clearly is not like I don't claim to be in some quote unquote bubble because I live in the Bay Area where I often say when you see these riots and everything happening, there is a class warfare in the bubble, in the bubble of California, where it's really separated between rich and poor. And that doesn't necessarily mean black and white. Like poor people in California are of all colors. We lead the country right now in poverty. And the George Floyd, and I see right before we press record, his brother, I think in Minneapolis, had a loudspeaker in front of peaceful protesters, which I think is a large percentage of what's going on in America, telling everyone he is not a violent person. This is not. And I, I think the majority of things we saw the last, like, 48 hours, because the I know internally for me the reaction when you see an old woman getting beaten or an old man getting beaten in front of their business or uh, something getting burned – it like gets away from where I think it felt like we were kind of headed in the middle of the week with George Floyd, with people speaking out about George Floyd and the protests that were clearly going to come from that to where it kind of became. And I, I wasn't in town this week, but Walnut Creek is shit. We had curfew. I think you were telling me you guys have a curfew, uh, San yeah. Francisco, the looters, obviously San Francisco, Walnut Creek, Oakland, all over the country. I mean, you couldn't turn on the news without seeing, it felt like it was way crazier at least, online in some other states right and like saw a really bad one in philly some new york minneapolis you know i, I don't know la actually kind of had some areas uh and it just it's you know i didn't tweet much about i what, what am i gonna say you know i sometimes i feel like what what am i gonna everything is just bomb twitter can just I, and i've been turned off by twitter over the last like couple months in the sense of like back to what you said there is a value of back, you know, just being able to talk to people. And that clearly is an avenue that had been a huge part. I know just professionally for what we do to be an area that is kind of difficult to communicate. And it's when things like this happen, it's like, I, I have a hard time, but like, it's just, you kind of get overwhelmed and you don't know like what is really going on. Uh, you know, is this is is a reflection of Molotov cocktails getting thrown at fucking into businesses? And then when you, I just think the majority of people, at least that in my experience in life, 
are good people and are not that type person. So I, I even think sometimes the way the media works, and I'm not trying to blame the media here, but just what we see and what gets publicized sometimes can be somewhat of an outlier situation, though it clearly was going on everywhere with these violent riots and looting and, and stuff. But it clearly took away from the powerful thing that we all witnessed you know, online or whether you watch on TV with George Floyd dying. Yeah, most know, for I would say no the, reason from everything I've watched. Right, the vast majority of people that are protesting are 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 doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, I, I think right. the overwhelming. I think you'd be in like the ninety percentile. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. You might be closer to a hundred than ninety, honestly. And then you have these group of just. To me, that's where it clearly creates this. For me, like this. I mean, that's and they say, well, it's not up to you. You should feel uncomfortable. And again, I, I just feel uncomfortable watching any human getting beaten or their fucking shit burned. Like it's just, I don't even know. I don't even know what to come back to. Besides, like I, so, I just know that's not right. Yeah, I mean, maybe I can connect something that these. I hesitate to even say it, but th- there is so there is life and death, and there is overt racism, and there is all of that stuff. Um. I think some some of what I took away from what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote in the LA Times article, one thing he said was, um, and this was not his quote, he wrote it better than I could uh, repeat it, but basically what he said is some of what you're seeing is the are, are is frustrations bubbling over. And one thing I thought of just in a sports context, although this doesn't have to, this is not a sports thing, but like, if we took 130 athletics directors, the FBS, the people that hire the football coaches in college football, right? If you talk to all 130 of them and I gave you a, a, a notepad and said, just here's a category, racist, not racist. Interview 100, just talk to them, get to know them. You got to know all 130 of them. How many would you go? Racist, not racist. You're saying if we interviewed every AD? Yeah, if you just got to know 130 ADs, how many of those people are over racist? I'd bet not many. However, there are, on a given year, 10 to 15 black head coaches in college football, right? So a very small percentage, 10 to 13 to 15%. I think this year might be like 13% with like six black coordinators. And two of those are Herm Edwards' co-DCs. So the Pac-12's got to be really high up there in percentage of their so, conference, Yeah, right? the Pac-12 has four black left. head coaches, but he was replaced by Carl Durrell, and that's oh, tied yeah. for the most. In a conference, yeah. So my point being, like, there's a there's a difference between George Floyd getting killed, overt racism, and just kind of some systematic issue that when we went individually to all those ADs in my hypothetical, you go, yeah, I don't think these are a bunch of racists. And yet, as a group, you'd say, well, it is kind of something's wrong, right? In a sport that has so many black athletes, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would imagine predominantly black athletes. That, I think it's over 60. That the, okay, that the head coaches are 10 to 13%. Like there's something's off there, right? And I think that's a lot of what people have been saying for a long time now. It's like, just because you're not an overt racist doesn't mean there are things at play here that make it harder for a black Well, we person. talk it all the time with the Rooney rule and just getting people interviewed and why it's so important to get yeah. people in front of these other people. And, that I, and they I think don't that's kind of the, don't run this. that's kind of the point of all this, right? It's like, hey, you are not a racist. You or you or you or you or you, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things at play here that make it harder for a black person to succeed. Forget about just, I mean, that's not even addressing, right? Just like safety or if as a white guy, not that I go jogging, John, but if I wanted to go jogging at 8 p.m. in my neighborhood, I wouldn't even cross my mind that maybe I shouldn't do that. But a black person that that probably does cross their mind. Right. Um, so, though, I think that's part when I go back to talking and like part of this is obviously not again, I'm so hesitant to sound cliche, but listening. But I think that's what a lot of a lot of the in-between is. Because like you said, most people watch that George Floyd video. If you got the stomach for it, you go, oh, that is... Who who would argue against that being okay? Or who would argue for that being okay? Yeah, and my answer was like, I wouldn't know one person that would. And then someone right. would and come yet, back and be like, people do. Yeah, people and maybe people do. But but And yet, there is this... There is a much larger... So if we all agree that's not okay, then why is there a problem? Well, again, the, the head coach thing, I'm just using as a microcosm for you know, a lot of the frustrations that I felt like um, 
Kareem was was referencing. But yeah, and I, I don't know if it's I, right I to think, connect those two or not. But that was just one of the. Well, didn't he use the like racism, like dust in the wind? You yeah. don't really feel it, but it's there. That and was, then sometimes it'll make you cough. And that was you great, just realize that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Uh, that. You know, when you say the, and I've heard this a couple times in the last 24 hours, you know, the tensions have boiled over, it's boiled over, mm-hmm. which I would agree in the sense of like, when you hear Steven Jackson, who knew George Floyd, like, that was that? his boy, that was it's crazy, but you see him get up, goes to city hall in Minneapolis, like, okay, to me, there's a difference between that and like, people are mad, they want change, they'll do whatever it fucking takes. And like, when I see these loons taking hammers to win, like I, that is no, like, I don't even think they care. And that's when I've seen a lot of like people, Carl Banks, former New York Giants linebacker, was tweeting like, there are two separate entities right now. There are the people that are protesting for the right reasons and do whatever it takes. They aren't necessarily looking to fucking cause other people harm. And then there are these this other smaller, smaller group that clearly feels like it's all connected and it's not really. Like, I'm sorry, if you're walking out of Foot Locker with like three pairs of J's, are you are you there for George Floyd or are you there to get some free shit? And that's where I think creates and then the visuals on social media and but, the news creates all this crazy thoughts for people, but, which just make this whole thing get out of control. Yeah, because th- those people, the impact they have on the conversation is disproportionate to the percentage. Well, it's huge. Of them they, their impact exists. on the conversation is it immediately takes up a large percentage of it, right? But I think, that not that unfortunately how a lot of this stuff goes? Like, it becomes this whole other thing that's, that is almost in some ways can distract from the real point of what the discussion is supposed to be. I, I, I Just thinking a lot about it over the last 24 hours, I think it's a combination of, one, we were just in a position around the country of just being locked up for this, this thing that was clearly felt bad at first, where every, everyone kind of like this corona thing was coming. Then it immediately, like everything does, becomes really political. So then you become split on it, right? And then that was just, became a very divisive issue, just the coronavirus. But everyone like couldn't work. You got all these people unemployed. We already had like a class warfare thing happening anywhere, just separating. Like the middle class was ceasing to exist by the day, let alone now. Just a lot of those people are wiped out who hopefully... Pray to God as fucking the world ever gets back to sanity, people can get some jobs. Uh, And then the George Floyd thing to me was like it was uh, the gasoline was already all over the wood and someone just sparked it. And then it's created this in a vacuum. The George Floyd thing would have could have been a just if Corona never would have been around, would have been a huge, huge deal. Right. We've seen Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin. There's been thousands of examples. Would have created huge, huge protests all and maybe the looting and rioting would have been associated. Probably. I I, I don't. Yeah. But just, I think historically level, that's just part of what ha- has happened. Did it feel like the level at least just again, I, I, I tried to stay away, but it was hard to just watching on all these cities. It felt like we're just and like you said, it's disproportionate. Like you just feel you see some of these images that are just like if you're a human being. I don't know how else to describe like it fucking hurts you inside. You just feel like and it's one thing to feel uncomfortable because of racism. It's another thing to see just people that it does not feel with hammers, white guys with just hammering businesses down to walk out with shit and target. Right. So we just need and more J.R. Smiths. <laughs> I, there is a level my, that is where I, every J.R. Smith highlight tape should have that somewhere in it. You know, yeah, I mean, he beat the shit out of that guy, but there is a level of part of the issue with the rioting specifically on this one is because we had a police killing. It was clearly 100%. The guy was in the wrong and deserves to go to fucking jail. And listen, I'm pro death penalty. You want to get the guy death penalty? One fuck. I won't lose sleep over it. Fucking kill the guy. Right? I mean, he, he was in the wrong. He deserves whatever comes his way. And an innocent human lost his life. And then to go to protesting to where we're at now, and then like the J.R. Smith stuff, the hard part is, right, if once you realize the looting and rioting's coming, and now the power of like social media, it's like easy to communicate, and you kind of feel like, God, some weird shit might be going down. You can just kind of sense it on like Twitter. And then you start seeing the visuals. Well, if you put the cops out there, it could escalate way faster, right? And then you just get some of these situations where it just kind of perpetuates itself what once the looters and rioters come in and they've already and they feel like the protest even though they're not you know it just it all gets connected and it's it's unfair 
just to me, the timing of everything with the Corona has just led to this powder keg that fucking exploded all over the country. Yeah. I guess, you know, in the end you hope that something good comes of it, but, um, and I hope that, I hope that, right. I think we hope that, that something changes for the better. We've seen it many times to this point, And I think that's probably part of the frustration is people, African-Americans feel like we've been fighting this battle. We thought maybe we were making progress. Have we made no progress in 40 well, years? Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean because kind of, like one thing I was telling you, like I was thinking about and you and I were on the radio every day while Colin Kaepernick was kneeling and talking about it every day. Right. We There was no not it was just uh, part of the deal in the Bay Area and really around the country. And, you know, I, I think probably that heightened this idea of this like this phrase that now everyone knows the phrase. I don't even know if everyone knows exactly where it originates but aka stick to sports right yeah but sports have always been because everyone always references jordan jordan said republicans wear sneakers too which i read another quote a while back that he didn't even whatever it's an aside but sports there is never I read too been, that he didn't verbatim say that but he didn't mean it in the way that it became but whatever but like sports have always been a part of social issues uh jesse owens Going back to Jesse Owens in the Berlin Olympics, right? And Jackie Robinson and Muhammad Ali and uh, uh, well, to me- Tommy Smith and John Carlos and Bill Russell and on and on and on and on and on. And part of it is those are people with a platform. The athletes are people we feel like we know. And so they have the ability to say something and people go, oh, that's coming from Bill. We know Bill. We know who Bill is. Bill has the ability to be a leader, Russell. Or whoever. Jay, I mean, what Jalen Brown did was, you know, like it's one thing to send a tweet. It's another thing to drive 15 hours and lead a protest. I, I actually think, and I've been thinking about this over this weekend, is that Twitter and social media, where all these guys now, because none of these sports are going on, no matter what they say, it just kind of, it, it just becomes divisive, right? There's just everything split, right, right or wrong. Short firm, yeah, yeah, you're on a side. And even if, where, you're, even if the thing you say is in the middle, now you're on the side of you're not saying anything. Where in our lifetime, when bad shit happens, sports never pause like this unless there was a strike, right? They usually were just going on. And usually it's the one place where every fucking person in the community, if you live in your community, just root for the Niners or root for the Eagles or – Root for the Lakers, right? It just brings it. And then those guys get up, and what they're, they've always had opinions, like you said, but they're all kind of unified. And you realize there's LeBron standing right next to Frank Vogel, or there's Dak Prescott standing right next to Mike McCarthy. And it just, even if it was OTAs or the playoff, it just kind of feels like a unified issue because they're all kind of working together. And we don't have any of that going on right now. It, it, it crossed my mind with sports being away from us, not saying that they would have, if sports would have been going on, this wouldn't happen. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. I just wonder, as this goes on, who knows? Like, I, I end in sight. Fuck, I got no clue. I just wonder if they could simmer the fire a little bit hmm. just by talking and being because they don't because they're on TV the, now, right? They're doing a post game press conference instead of doing. And the a nature tweet. of sports is you're to, you're together with your team, right? And it's just and fans it's are together. The one play I say it all the time when when I and fans are together. When I worked, and I don't think athletes look at other athletes. It's just not – when I worked in Fresno State and the Eagles, I, I never heard one racist comment about another player. About It's just all – you're all kind of together. Now, clearly – What like, about – uh, what, what was the one guy, the receiver for the Riley Cooper? I, was go, I wasn't on the team then. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, that was, that was, that was bad. That was, I was gone. I, I just – I meant more like – I know the front what you office, mean. You're saying players. sports is yeah. a merit- – sports, first of all, is a meritocracy. Yeah, no they, one, they, especially the specifically players. It's players. Yeah, coaches is different because it's yeah, it's a little pl- different. But it's a meritocracy. A and B. It is just there is a locker room, and it's either you figure out how to work together and be a team, or this is gonna fail, right? Well, like you going to Niners games this year, you just see people. Everyone's fucking wearing red, black, white, Mexican, whatever, Latino, Indian, wherever you're from. No one even thinks about it. And it's just, I, I do think it plays a huge role. And I know people love to poo-poo, oh, it's just sports or whatever. We don't. I mean, it's, everyone, like, the, the people involved with sports don't. They're like, that's pretty big business, because it is. But it's just, it, it's an easy one to be like, oh, it's just a game. Just play the game. It clearly means more to that than society. It's why when, like, Kareem writes that, it is so fucking powerful. 
It's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the best players ever from the fucking Lakers. When he just wrote that, it's the LA, it just it pops, right? When Richard Sherman talks, it just kind of resonates. You know what? On the Since you know we do our podcast, it's on YouTube. If you're watching it on YouTube, um, you made a point to me before we started about something Richard Sherman tweeted. I'm going to put it on the YouTube video right now because um, I thought it was really th- – this is where when people say – this is my – I didn't really think of it until just now, but when I like why sports can be so valuable in social issues is because you feel like, you know, the people and um, I have the tweet up. Do you want me to just read it? But you're the one that mentioned it to me, but Richard Sherman tweeted. It's curious the way I'm treated in public when I have a mask on. And when I don't, when I wear a mask, I feel the tension that I've felt since I was a child. I can feel the looks I get of people who assume I'm a threat, but when the mask comes off, suddenly I'm not a threat. In other words, so this is someone who here is Richard Sherman who has a platform, right? If Richard Sherman, if we had had the ability right now to stand up on the platform that like an NFL game gives you, right? Like on television, not necessarily a tweet, although the tweet's valuable and say, Hey, I want to, I'm part of this solution, which I think we all think Richard is as high level as it gets. Um, like there is a value to that, to Richard saying, this is how I feel. This is how sometimes you make me feel. You don't even realize you're making me feel this way, but this is how I feel. This is the, the point I'm making. Think here about, goes back think about to the stick. Guy. Like stick to sports to me has never existed, even though we we th- we act like oh get back to. But I don't think these things have always been tied together because of people like Richard Sherman. I thought he put it really perfectly there because when you think about it, with Richard Sherman's mask off, I think he had another tweet like the sport I play, the education I have. There's problem unless the guy wherever he's trying to go is an overt fucking Klansman racist. There's nowhere that Richard Sherman wouldn't be welcome, right? Wall street to talk to people, obviously any professional sporting event, anywhere he wanted to go, people would, would jogging and en- jogging in any neighborhood. If everyone knew it was Richard Sherman jogging yeah, in their neighborhood Richard at 8 PM, people no, be, people in any town, they jog, they jog next to him. They try right. to get his autograph and you can tell he put a mask on. This is where as a white guy, I cannot relate to this at all. He walks in. Well, one, he's fucking bigger than probably any the majority of people everywhere he goes. He's got long dreads, and you know it's just I, you read a statement like that, you're like, you're right, because he could get into fifty times more places than me or you. Mask off, right? <laughs> they would much rather have Richard Sherman than Guy or John. Mask on changes a little bit, you know. Yeah. And I, I would imagine this, and what he said, like this last couple months, probably, and I think I think he's in Seattle. Uh, probably just kind of makes you think this is even before George Floyd. He's probably been thinking this, right? Just walking around over the last month, just walking into fucking Lowe's or Home Depot or Safeway and just people give him a weird look. Then he probably gets out, picks off and and people run Richard, you know, I mean, everywhere he goes, he's the most famous guy. If the mask's off and everyone's going to, even the people that hate him, it's like Steve said about Kevin Durant, you get fucking Joe, the egghead Twitter account to next Kevin Durant. They'd be kissing his ass. So even if you don't like Richard, yeah. you saw him in person, you'd be like, "That's right, that Richard." What do you, th- you know? You'd give him some Niner. You'd say something about football. Mm-hmm. I'd say he'd be one of the more recognizable athletes, non like some of the NBA guys in all the sports, right? If he just walked in somewhere, yeah. So it just, I don't know. I, I you know, it, w- my thing though is, it just I, I don't know. Like change, has anything really changed? Right. Since the last time, like Ferguson happened, different things happen. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe this is just cyclical I, and it's just tough for cyclical in the sense that these events happen and then they get people get so angered and pushed again as they should because nothing's changed. Like, are we just going to head down? Why, like, why would this time be different? I don't know. And yeah, that's why I, I mean, I guys do get frustrated. And that's where I like to separate the frustration and fucking Steven Jackson leading a group of people and then guys taking hammers and sledgehammers into people's homes, or I mean cars and fucking lighting things on fire. Like I, I differentiate the two. Sure. Yeah. And I think, and that's where I think it's hard sometimes with the news or social media where I bet younger people, the majority of their information is coming on social media. It feels like it's all kind of under you know, one umbrella and it's just not. And that's the whole sad shitty fucking part about the way everything's played out. I think part of change, and this is what makes it particularly frustrating, is it takes, I don't know if this is right or not, and I've kind of started to doubt, I mean, I definitely believe this, but to a degree, but I've thought that it it takes like generations, right? Like you are not going to go in all likelihood, 
find somebody who's been a racist for 65 years. And now we're talking about, we're not talking about systematic. We're just talking overt and be like, you know what, man, you got to change. No, there are, I'm not saying nobody can change, but I think it takes like kids who grow up in a different environment than raising their kids to believe differently than their parents believe, right? That kind of evolution. And uh, the frustrating part is you would have thought like over the last 40 years, maybe there would have been some of that. Maybe there has been, and it's it's not so much about the individuals, but about, um, you know, kind of the systems that are in place. But I mean, maybe I sound I naive. I, I, I do think our generation and younger grew up dramatically different. Uh, than, there's no question, you know. but that's my point is you would have thought like, okay, then shouldn't this be better today? If it's been 40 years and our generation did grow up different than the generation yeah, before and the generation before and the generation before, shouldn't it be better than this? You know, that's the part that is uh, disheartening, I guess. This is It's also where I get back to, like, I, I can't relate, guy. I, I, and I know you can't either, and I know fucking everyone in our life that I, I keep close to me. I know people you – I don't associate with fucking people like that. So I just – I have a hard time. Like, I don't even – But I'm not even like, talking – I guess what I'm saying No, no I know, is, but, but – Go ahead. I, I I think there is an element to this, like for cops, for example, isn't there part of it? Like there are just, I think sometimes when this stuff happens, it gets painted like a large majority of them are kind of scumbags and bad people. And that's another thing where I kind of struggle with. I'm not, it's in, it's indisputable that there aren't bad fucking seats. Right. And there aren't bad, like that guy that did that is a, is a loser scumbag. He's a criminal. And I think he's in jail right now, you know, third degree murder. Hopefully they get it to, you know, first degree, whatever. I am not a lawyer. I don't know exactly, but I, I think this guy is going to get what's coming to him. Uh, we hope, I mean, I think people would immediately push back. Well, look at historically, that doesn't happen. And I mean, hope it does here. We're all, I think we're all, everyone I know is rooting for it. So, but th- then I think with a cop, this is where I, get, I, I struggle with, but, but sometimes. can I, let me just say, like, take the George Floyd part out of it. I'm just saying to the point you made, I thought you made a good point, right? Like, before George Floyd was killed, Richard, what Richard is saying is like, I was just walking around with a mask on. I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's the point I'm making is like, shouldn't I would have thought if the generations over time, over time are like, we grew up very differently than right. People grew up in the sixties, whatever on and on and on and on by now, hopefully black people wouldn't feel uncomfortable walking around in public. Like that's, I'm not even talking about George Floyd in that standpoint. I'm just, because I thought that was a good observation, right? Like Richard's probably been feeling this way for two and a half months, and he tweeted that. Well, it's that's back, where I, I thought, back, like, yeah. if that hasn't, I think it's back to what Kareem said. It's back to what Kareem said about the dust. It's yeah. just there in the air, and it ain't. Maybe, maybe before it used to be really, really thick. Maybe mm. it's a little less thick now. It's like Corona. Every once in a while, yeah. Every once in a while, it'll come, and you'll just like, holy shit, it's everywhere. And I think they would tell you, Richard. What he's saying is he it's feels everywhere. it. Yeah. It's all, you know, and I can't, this is where it gets tough as a white guy. Like I can't relate. I, I can't relate to ever. It never crosses my mind. Anything. Should I do this? Can I do this? I just do, you know, I was talking to, a, uh, I, and I've had a couple moments, immature moments, probably in my twenties where I got pulled over and looking back, I didn't hesitate to kind of ch- like fucking clap. Yeah, right you back you felt like what's the worst thing's going to happen. He'll just give me the ticket. He's giving me anyway. I felt right. like fuck this guy. Yeah, you know this guy's screwing me. Even though I was, I crossed a thick white line or whatever by Golden Gate Field and one and another one, I rolled the stop sign, but I didn't flinch to get aggressive. And that's immediately I, everything I've read. You know, Marks Thompson, there was Athletic had some good stuff. Like I, I can't relate to like I better be on my best behavior here because yeah, this could escalate. If anything, the I, I'm the opposite. I, yeah. I'm instigating and he ain't doing shit. Right. So that's yeah. I can't. That's. Kind of, and the last time that happened, I consciously thought about that, and was just I I just not that I was like that I'm privileged. I you was were just aware. Not, I was just nice to the guy. I was in the wrong. I'm not gonna fucking argue with the guy for being in the wrong. Because I do think those guys, just in general, can be put in some weird situations, and I think you're seeing it right now, like with the rioters. You see, I, I've seen some people tweet about, and again, I. I don't, I'm not trying to judge everything that I see online because it's really, really difficult. But there are just situations when people are like, I, I don't know what the right answer. I try to put, put yourself in that guy's shoes. Let's say you are a good cop. You have fucking no racist bone. You would never treat anyone differently. 
and you got people throwing stuff at you, if you hit them like that, it's going to go viral and you're going to be called a scumbag on social media, right? Yeah. Because it feels like I saw that this weekend. Yeah, I, I just, again, I think that stuff is really important stuff. But I think it's probably a small fraction of like the bigger picture that everyone's really. Uh, it's not a small fraction, but it is a just a part. It's not the whole thing. It's not the whole piece of the pie. You're saying those videos or whatever that are going viral. Yeah, I mean, I. I, I'm not, I'm I think not we've arrived George, there. We've arrived at that. Right. George Floyd's death was the thing that this this is the latest thing that made it all blow up. But it's. The frustrations of the people that are sharing their frustrations is more than just that. And I think that was kind of Kareem's point is it's all this. It's a lot of stuff that doesn't get broadcast, that isn't a death, that doesn't get punished, that doesn't involve evil, that just is unseen um, and unfelt by so many people. Maybe don't realize it's happening around you. I'm, sure, I'm positive. It's, if it's not happening to you your whole life. It's less recognizable. I was talking to a buddy of mine last night who said that he was talking to a former, he, he's a white guy. He's like, I called a buddy of mine, former teammate that's black and just said, you know, I, I don't like this idea that if I'm not tweeting about it, then I don't care or I'm on the wrong side. And, uh, the response he got, I thought it was interesting. and good insight was just, look, man, all you can do if you're just a white guy, not all you can do, but one thing you can do is you can just, exist in whatever world you exist in and try to make that little world, the people you talk to, the examples of non-overt racism, if you own a business, the things you can do to make sure that everybody feels comfortable working in your business, coming into your business. Um, if somebody says something that you recognize, maybe they're not an overt racist, but they're saying something that in, implies they don't quite recognize what's happening around them. His advice was just Handle that shit. Like, just start there. Like, that's a start. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I mean, it's not wrong. It's definitely not wrong. Yeah. Um, because I was kind of sharing my same thought with him. Is like, if so, if I'm not, I'm, you know, from from day one of Colin Kaepernick, we talked about it every day, and I've always just believed in the part of a, the basic tenet of America is the right to protest. So that today, if I don't tweet something, that means that I'm on the wrong side. That that sentiment kind of has been weird to me i understand where it comes from though and um that was his response which i thought was useful i don't know if that and, th and that's where not, i get but... back to the overall take of just twitter and social media in general i i, I wonder if it's i I, th I think it's hard to keep up sometimes with like our and i, I don't even try to necessarily judge even though it's it's probably inherently impossible, some you see some like white guys throwing out statements. You're like, give me a break, you know. And then yeah, you see other yeah, people like if yeah. I if I see like, you know, Jim Trotter with a thought out tweet, or you know, or you know, Marcus Thompson write an article. To me, it means, you know, you see everyone. It's like I, I, I don't know how much impact it has for the white guy just trying to like throw their hat. And I know if a I lot just of post like a it, Maya Angelou tweet, but I, I did see that quote. Yeah. Exactly. Like one thing, a lot of like the white quarterbacks in the NFL put out statements and, and Richard Sherman, I think text back to Albert Breer who hit up Richard after he had those tweets, like just for a couple of his thoughts, you mm -hmm. know, if you get it. And he thought that that was powerful. Like it is powerful for those guys just because they are in a situation and you've seen a lot in college football. Right. And, and like, I saw coach K like every college major coach has put out a statement and I think they're doing like, they do represent depending on your team, a large, like their team is a large percentage of black people. So they are, I, I understand at first I was like, is every coach? And then you do like, you are, you mean, you see it them. and you go, are you doing this because you really care? Or are you doing it because it'll be used against you in recruiting if you don't do it? Is yeah, that what, and, yeah. And I just wonder also if, if you're Nick Saban, I, we break down the exact percentage. I'd guess Alabama's 75%, you know, somewhere between 65 and 75% black. You have to think the, the, team, these, the football team, the, t the, t the football team, you got to go. A lot of these guys right now, one, I just fuck. I haven't seen them in two months. I can't even talk to them really besides like text messaging. And like you said, text, you, whole, you can't call everybody. Do you go, there are going to be a decent percentage of guys that are just in a weird place with everything going on that I just show. I got your guys back. Even though 
if you're a player for a team and you play for Saban or you play for Dabo or you play for Coach K or you play for David Shaw, whoever, her, you know they got your back, right? Besides, like, when you're playing shitty, right? But, I mean, just saying, like, they recruited you. They liked it. For the most part, everyone's on the same page. Unless, like, something weird happens during the season or you get in trouble. You, you know what I mean? You're a leader. Just, you're the leader. Yeah. Lead. And that's yeah. where, like, there is no disputing. Donald has tweets that are just getting really, really divisive. But I, I also get back to, like, do we put too much stock into a tweet? Like, are, are people living no, in tweets like you go, and I do? Yeah, I mean, but I, your tweet and my tweet. He, he, him, him, yes. I, I just mean in general, though. He, he's uh, he His tweets are the, are the headline. I'm talking more just people in the sports. That's where players, I think, do. You like when Richard talks, it does feel like it resonates with people. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking in the media. Like people go to him. Like yeah. what's he? I think Jalen Brown is someone that really shows because they're not every like they speak when it's important and, and they come like you go wow that's really re-. Kareem. You're like Jesus Christ, guys. You know, and Kareem's I think got that's a lifetime behind him too. With it, with yeah, this. I think sometimes on Twitter, like when you're just tweeting all the time, just about like every take you have from like a shitty ice cream cone you had to the, the, no the, such thing. The Giants' seventh inning guy, you know, if they ever come back, it's just it, it becomes just a crazy place. Yeah. Like I, I just know this for myself. I, I, I can't live and die. The the riots are a lot different because it's like your community and stuff. But like the Corona stuff, I I had to take a step back because you just get so angry, and just it puts you in a weird place. I I hate feeling. Yeah, like we that. made. If you listen to our podcast, you know that maybe you knew it, you didn't know it subconsciously. We made a conscious choice. We are not. This is not going to be our Corona thoughts three times a week on this podcast because you we're not we're not Corona. I'm not. You can. That's not what you're here for, yeah. uh, unless I'm an expert. I, I just and it made I it because part of it was just we didn't get so mad. Yeah, part of it was we really the heart of it was that's we didn't enjoy that. Yeah, we didn't want to do a podcast that was three days a week Corona talk, so we didn't. That's the beauty of your own podcast. You talk about whatever you want. That's that is the heart of this. That I mean, just this discussion in general is we just the reason we decided to do it today is because this is what we are talking about, and that's. When we started our radio show, and for people who don't know, it's two guys that went to high school together, lived together when John, post, post-grad, in Middlecoff's case. Uh, well, I guess in both our cases. You were graduate, you graduated before well, I was we five both, years. But you were doing, you were doing post-grad. But the point yeah. is, when we started the show, I remember our radio boss was like, what is this going to be? Like, what, if you could break it down to a couple sentences. And ultimately, it's like, well, we talk a lot. So this is just going to be a slice of the stuff that we're always talking about. And um, I don't know. I don't know why I'm feeling the need to share that now, but it's just to say we made that decision on Corona, but we talked about it sometimes, particularly at the beginning of it. And we talk about it in the context of sports coming back. Um, well, this is a more this, uncomfortable subject. I feel more comfortable talking about this than I do Corona. Yeah, because basic Despite being a, being a white having, guy, having basic humanity, Sherman, yeah, <laughs> gives you a perspective. As long as you understand, like there are things I'm sure I've learned things in the last five years, ten years, twenty years, whatever. Um, I'm sure there, you know, it's guaranteed that when we talk to each other about it, there's stuff that we just can't know, don't know, miss unless we listen to other people who have a different uh, perspective on it. So. I don't know. The point being, I'm sure we missed some stuff. You can share if you're listening to this and you have a different perspective than us. You can share those with us. But we decided to do the podcast today because we're like, this is, it's a tough. In some ways, it's a tough thing, but in other ways, it's really not that complex. It's actually really, to your point, it's very simple. But 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 I also think like we got people listening in San Jose. They got fucking lockdowns there, right? Of just so people don't take out the mall. We got people that live in Sacramento. They've had some great like everyone. This is something that you're saying. You hope a guy who's gonna bust in Westfield Mall listens to this podcast and changes his mind. No, I'm saying, I'm saying, I hope we don't have you know people busting down. I I just think a lot of people are are listener. You know, they're just this is. I mean, this is. We hope we've it's, cultivated a reasonable listener. Is that what you're? Yeah. Well, I just also think it's just this what's happened over the weekend definitely became not that Corona wasn't. I mean, it changed our lives. This one though became on a level of 
of it just there there was a safety element where you started thinking like is it just are they coming residential? Are they coming from my, my home? And then you start feeling bad for the people. Like, again, back to George Floyd's brother. Like, this is not what this was about. But ultimately, is it helping? Is it hurting? I, I just – it became one of those where you don't have – I don't have any answers. But yeah. I, I, I have think feelings. You, I have emotions. I think if there, if there are people that want to distract from the point of the cause, then grabbing onto looting or fires or whatever is a good way to distract people from the point of the cause but yeah it's clearly not, not the point not naive enough to hope that like everyone would not be racist and no one would fucking hurt anyone's business right? i mean that's clearly got scumbags the, though and again i i hate saying this i most people i know and i, I really do believe this as, as a whole now I, i'm not saying we can't have bad moments i do think most human beings are good people i i, I really do you know uh, you know, I'm not just just yeah, but I but I would say I would go back way. to like I don't think when like I, Richard I'm not talking Sherman's... even racism. I'm not even talking. I'm just saying that I, I I do think people want to do the right thing, just as a whole as society in 2020. And maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I also just think most people don't. It's really hard to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Also, 100 understand. I, right, I, I'm talking. You can be a good about... person who doesn't understand how to put yourself in somebody. Else. That's normal. That's. I'm talking about if if Richard could have like pulled down his mask in the Safeway and been like, "But oh, why the fuck are you looking at me so weird?" I'm, you know, look made somebody like, aware of how he yeah, feels. Like, Jesus Christ! I, you know, I, I don't even think. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a valuable I, I, I service do, to that person, probably. I do believe that. But he'd now, be like, "Why is, be, is that? What I have to do? I have to go around telling people you're looking at me?" One hundred percent, and that's where it's like I, I can't. But he I just said nothing. it. He, he did. Hopefully people recognize the message. Might apply to them, too. I did. I mean, fuck. Yeah. I was like, God damn. I never thought of it like that. Um, on to George Kittle's contract? Yeah. So we did a YouTube video on Monday that we're going to include in this podcast. Um, if you are watching this podcast on YouTube, you can we'll link to that down in the description, the George Kittle video. If you're listening to this podcast, then you'll hear that audio coming up next. Before we get to that, though, let's just tell the people the podcast is brought to you by Raycon Earbuds. Buy Raycon.com slash ham. Yeah, guy, you already know Raycon Earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. I have them. You have them. We've been using them. They're sweet. Easy to go right in your ear. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, guy. Six hours. You put get a little charging case, put them in there. Then you got them six hours. Bluetooth pairing. Bass is great. Sound is great. You work out in them. Go for Corona walks. Do whatever you want to do. They're awesome. Yep. B-U-Y by Raycon. R-A-Y-C-O-N. By Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash ham. That's buyraycon.com. Dot com slash ham for 15% off the Raycon wireless earbuds by Raycon.com slash ham. Uh, here's our uh, conversation about the uh, latest report regarding George Kittle's contract. That's our first George Kittle video that we talked about what we estimated his contract would and should be, right? It was like a combination of what we think it would fairly be given the circumstances. And I went back and watched it, John. Uh, spoiler alert. You're, we did a one, two, three guess. You said $29 million total value, guaranteed dollars, not total. I said $34 million at the time. Yeah, and after some of the news this week, right, it feels, I, I don't know, 50 might be the starting point <laughs> of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, the question is, did it change? So at a, uh, Michael Silver goes on uh, NFL Network, the company he works for, says he talked to the agent for George Kittle, Jack Becta, and uh, Silver said they have a ways to go in terms of figuring out his value. Quote, they're not close at all. Jack Becta, the agent, said, I don't care about the tight end market. I'm being paid to do a George Kittle deal. <laughs> he's Which, not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not, he's wrong. not wrong at all. And we said it at the Combine when we talked to Albert Breer and the big news – I guess the news came out probably a couple weeks later when Austin Hooper, the number one tight end in the class, turns out he's now the highest paid tight end in NFL history. 
And we're like, $22 million total and guaranteed? To put it into context, Amari Cooper, who George Kittle, every single person in the world would take George Kittle over Amari Cooper. Now, I understand they play different positions, but got $60 million guaranteed and a five-year $100 million deal. And when we saw that happen and the Austin Hooper money, we just acknowledged it was going to be a really difficult situation for a team that the Niners are. They don't let good players walk. Not that they draft, historically. Look at the the last 20 years of when they draft a good player who is a all-pro, pro-bowl-level guy, they pay him. But it's a little easier when you pay Patrick Willis or Navarro Bowman or you know uh, Joe Staley or Frank Gore or Vernon Davis over the periods. Like You just do comps relative to their position, and you pay kind of early. Well, that's I, I think they want to pay George Kittle right now, and he's looking at them going – you're offering me a four-year deal worth, let's say, I don't know, $60 million and $30 million guaranteed. Like, you can take it and shove it. Like, I, and you'd be like, well, it's the highest-paid deal in the history of the league at tight end. I don't give a shit because I have nothing in common with any of those guys. You'd be like, yeah, while I do have something in common with, like, Kelsey and Gronk, I just counter and say those are two of the most underpaid players in the history of professional football relative because really what makes them so special now, Kittle is a great blocker, and the run game is a huge part of what the Niners do. And we all acknowledge he's the best blocking tight. He's a fucking hammer. But he is so good catching the football. after the He's a dominant player with the football in his hands. And he goes, listen, I see what the wide receivers are paid. Even if I'm not going to end up getting them, I have no, Austin, I don't even ever mention Austin, Austin Hooper's name. Right, right. Yeah, I, I and I said this at the time, and, and Austin, Austin Hooper's a good player, but he's not in George George Kittle's category is the superstars of the NFL, the faces of the league. That's his category, right? And he is. Would you say he's a face of the league? Obviously, yes. of the Niners, but of the league right now. Yes, yes, I would. I agree. He's one of the best players in the NFL, slash one of the faces of the league. Right, being one of the best players doesn't make you one of the faces of the league because of his personality and just how much everyone loves him. Totally. Yep. And he's on one of the best teams. One of the right, just yeah. the whole thing. Um, now it's, it's almost dumb to talk about contracts and ignore precedent because precedent is so much a part of this, but just for a moment, I said this last time, so I won't spend too much time on it, but like if the 49ers in a, in a, in a sport where it was just, here's your best players, you just distribute this money, however you do it, doesn't matter what Austin Hooper got paid. And they said, you're about to give somebody a five year, $87 million contract with 40 to $50 million guaranteed. Would you rather give that money to Eric Armstead or to George Kittle? Who would they give that money to? Yeah, George Kittle. Right, but that's the money that Eric Armstead just got that contract with forty million dollars guaranteed, eighty-five million dollars overall, right? And so it's, it's it's easier though for him to argue, you know, the defensive lineman gets paid so much money. Yeah, but now you bring into just what the market pays, precedent, other positional comps, like that's how you end up here. And George Kittle's point is what you just said. Jack Beckett's point is, and even Silver kind of said this. Yeah, I catch the football like a tight end, and I play that position. I wear the number. I wear 85, so, yeah, I'm a tight end. But I catch the football better than Amari Cooper. I block like a left tackle. That stat that Silver had, that outside runs with Kittle on the field. were Almost two yards extra? Yeah, it was actually more. It was 5.6 to 3.3, 5.6. This was going to the Super Bowl. So, yeah. it's like I, I don't exist. So, I'm a unicorn, and I'm getting punished for being a unicorn? Think how many first downs that equals when you add 2.3 extra yards to a run to his side well, now over I can, the course yeah. of a season. Now I'm throwing on first down instead of running on third down or throwing on third down. But yeah. I, but here, so we, we've talked about the money. And the money, based on history, doesn't change today. I think part of this video is like, okay, so if Jack Beck is going to do a George Kittle deal, that's not going to happen by just sitting at the table with the Niners and hammering it out. Well, do you think it's a possibility right now if you're the Niners? Would this make sense? Austin Hooper was making like 12 or $13 million a year. But to me, the number, I don't, the yearly average means nothing because he got 22 guaranteed. So it's like a season and a half yeah, contract. But it's, but right? it's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're not tied to him for long. Yeah. It's if basically the 11 million for two years each year. If the Niners looked at George Kittle and said, we'll give you a four year deal, and you're still young, like you could look at it, well, if you're still playing well like a Gronk, you get a third contract. $60 million, 15 a year, and $40 million guaranteed. So essentially, 
give or take three-year guaranteed contract. Do you think that would be too much for him to sign? Or, I mean, would be enough for him to go, it's not worth the headache of holding out or going through these. That's a, that's a very, flies by, almost doubles Austin Hooper's. I'm the highest paid yearly average by several million. Uh, that that would, to me, be it. Like, but that might be the, the, the low point to start and not get like hang, get hung up on, right? Just to would, would that be a number? How much guaranteed? Forty million dollars. So if I my first year. reaction is that he would be more likely to take that than the Niners would be to offer it. But I love yeah, the I, idea I, I, of a shorter contract with a bigger guarantee. If you're him, if you're them, you go. You're not getting tied to a guy who does play really you know, like in a physical way. And you're not totally blowing up the market, although you're blowing up the market, but you're not paying them like a top-end wide receiver. Do you think it's a risky move to do an unprecedented contract, even though it's kind of a unicorn position that doesn't cost that much, right? Because if Kittle was a wide receiver or a pass rusher, we'd be talking like Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, you know, the elite money, whoever the best left tack, Tyron Smith a couple years ago, Fletcher Cox, whatever his position was, we'd be like, yeah, he's going to get top of the market. So still it's lower, but you got to wonder if they do set precedent with my idea, which I doubt they would, then is Bosa licking his lips? What if Fred Warner has another, you know, a pro bowl type season and goes, well, it's time for me. Right. And some of these guys coming up the pipe, Trent Williams, who they have I now. Mean, who- yeah. I mean, the argument, the counter for the Niners to those guys would be Nick, your position already is paid at a premium and you're going to, and Nick Bosa is going to get paid like one of the, he might get by the time well, his contract he, comes, he might be the number one paid defensive end in the league, right? But that's what I'm saying. He'll just want that number, which is going to be astronomical, right? But, but and just yeah, want. but his but is his production going his starting to, point? Yeah, yeah going yeah, yeah, to be yeah, I, I the pad between Hooper and Kittle is like humongous. Yes. Not even the, the same risk sentence. would be like if you had a second Kittle, who's like three years yeah. younger. You're like, oh god, now we're gonna have to pay. Like that you, would be you, a reason the, to keep the money down. The, the risk would be also is if, like, let's just say hypothetically Debo becomes, like, the next Michael Thomas and has a couple back-to-back years of, like, 90-90 catches and just balls. Like, just wants huge money relative to, like, Amari Cooper. You're saying I think the these risk are just is the that, things you talk about. Yeah, yeah. You know, that but, another position. You're right, though. It's relative to the position. That, that's where the, the tight end is a unicorn where you want to be the team and not be the actual player because it sucks when you get really good. And it's why we've kind of broach the topic time and time again and we don't feel that I, I i'll be shocked if he does it but the move is if you really want to get to that 40 to 50 probably range you can't show up when training remember camp albert breer was on this podcast you you caught him at the combine and that's and he was he said look i don't know these deals don't get done in these situations resetting the market doesn't get done in these situations without a holdout usually it's happened, it's happened three times in the last 18 months. All three holdouts. Ezekiel Elliott, Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack ultimately forced to trade, yeah. but got what he wanted, yeah. right? So they, they, they held out. The question is, where's the line for the Niners between what they're, how much are you willing to reset the market and how close is that to Kittle's number? Like, is Kittle going, I'm holding out, I need $45 million. And the Niners are going, dude, we'll give you $33 million is that close enough for Kittle to not hold out? Like, is he like, oh, I don't want to hold out. Give me 35 and I'll uh, – it's probably not. To, to me, to me part of the apart. win for Zeke, Donald, and Khalil was when they showed back up, it was like cha-ching. Right. And I don't know if – because, guy, if they signed him for, let's say, $33 million and let's say it was four years, $60 million, you know, 15 a year, so it, it looks good, they'll be like, highest yearly average by millions – but they're like 29.7 guaranteed. We'd go, God, that's a big win for the Niners. He gets a major injury. They can get out. They're not stuck for long. That's where, to me, if you're Kittle, and this is this is the shitty part about being an NFL player relative to the NBA in baseball, where they just kind of get the huge money when you're this level of player, that even we've seen it with Mac and Donald, who play a more important position. I wouldn't say they're more important to like their teams than Kittle is to theirs, but the way the league values, I get Hall of Fame defensive linemen. They're just, they got juice. They held out for historic money. I, I don't, I wonder if it'd be quote unquote historic, but would it go like, woo, 
damn, that's still a pretty good deal for the Niners. Yeah. Would he have to miss games? I don't know because every game is going to be so critical for them. I don't. Are they willing to go there? I mean, just missing camp at this point would be pretty significant, right? Um, I, I now the other part of that that deal you just mentioned, right? That what let's say a sixty million dollar deal with thirty million guaranteed, so it's basically two for fifteen. If he plays at a George Kittle level for those two years, then year three is that is that when the holdout comes? Like it's time to renegotiate this contract. I need a new deal. I don't know. Yeah, it would it, to me it would then depend on who else has been paid since. Like he's still uh, there's still a be the highest very strong guy. chance he'd be the highest paid guy. It, to me, he could easily operate like a quarterback if he signed a deal like that. When we just look back, he played all four years. I just think this was Mac. This was Donald's argument. Zeke definitely a lot like Kittle. We play very violent positions. You know, Kirk Cousins is more. When the dust settles in five years and Cousins retires, and you go. He made $240 million because he probably never gets hurt. Where at any moment, guy, we saw last year Kittle got hurt. He He's a violent player. He plays against violent positions and defensive ends. He looks to run over linebackers and safeties. If I tell you in the next four years, let's say Kittle goes on to have a Hall of Fame career, he's going to miss games over that period of time. And there are going to be moments where you, I, and everyone watching this right now are sitting on the couch where you go, get up, George. <laughs> Get up, George. He, he just that's it's inevitable, guy. The way he plays, because I think his comp is Gronk, and Gronk till the day his career unofficially ended. Now he's back. Had a moment I felt every couple times a season when you go, oh my god, is Gronk's leg gonna fall off, or oh my god, is he dead? And part of it is just these huge collisions when you're that big. Kittle's not quite as tall, so like the, but he's faster. Like by the end, Gronk wasn't moving as fast. George runs so fucking fast that some of the collisions he has, even with like a nickel corner, you're like, God, that's a car wreck. And I, I think that's that's where I struggle if I'm the Niners going, well, listen, we love him. I, I'd gladly give him Amari's contract if in a right. vacuum. If we had to, but we don't have to. And the Niners don't do things they don't have to do from a contractual standpoint. They don't. And that's not great business, right? With a position no. that gets hurt a lot when the you don't have to. The teams that are pretty good with their money, generally the teams that are pretty good over long periods of time, don't do things they don't have to do. Like, George, yeah, is I would it fair love to, say to give the, you the richest contract in the league, but it, it's not how it works. Of all the holdouts of the major players we've mentioned, I even don't think Zeke's was that complicated. It was like, Jerry's going to crack. They love him. He's a He is the offense. You know, he kind of carries them. The D linemen were going to get paid in some form or fashion. This, to me, feels like the most complicated holdout. It's not a holdout yet, but just contractual at odds of two sides that are just, that have like factual data against and for on both sides that I I don't necessarily know where this goes. I, I, I think we would both agree the Niners would would ideally love to avoid any contentious situation yeah. with this well, individual. no question. And, I, you know, I don't know that a holdout has to be contentious, but they'd like to avoid that. I, I'd be surprised. Even if there's a holdout, I'd be surprised if it got, quote-unquote, contentious. I think they do such a good job of making sure they're not saying the wrong things or sending the wrong messages about their players. Yeah, I don't think a holdout necessarily is contentious, but when a guy's just not there, it becomes a huge yeah, it story at this Here's guy's magnitude. Thing, right? It's like... You, when you talk about Zeke, for example, or Khalil Mack, you're talking about top five picks. George Kittle's a fifth-round pick. Does that change yeah. what he's willing to sign based on just he hasn't made as much money as those guys have to this point? I, I think if you're the Niners, you view that to work in your favor when you go, you throw out a $34 million guaranteed number or something that just dwarfs by $12 million the next highest paid. You go, listen, man, which is unfair. You go, well, it's not my fault. You know, that I've been making no money. It's kind of Dak's argument. It was Russell Wilson's argument once upon a time. Remember, his first contract got kind of ugly because you all go, well, look at the cost basis. Factor me in, even give me $50 million for four more years and factor in the seven years your guys are stealing. Like, that's where Zeke and, and Mac and Donald, they've made so much money. That Clowney right now is sitting out. Well, he's made right. $50 million. He can kind of wait and pick and choose. He's got a soft George got a huge raise. Got a huge raise going into the season to two, over a little over $2 million because of all of his incentives and how good he's been. I'll say this, too. This is not a year 
I'd want to have anybody holding out. Um, you know, coming out of the lockout in 2011, there were a disproportionate amount. I don't want to go dark here, John. But there was a disproportionate amount of Achilles injuries coming out of the lockout relative to what how many injuries I- there usually are to start a season. And so I think I think the whole league is at risk. Like, we could do another video on this. I, I think somebody's season is going to get flipped upside down just because players are not going to have as much prep time. And the last thing I'd want is the limited prep time being cut even further because of a holdout. That's not being on a side. I just, I would be terrified of holdouts if I were a team or a player. Well, I think a big part of, I I listened to this Joe Rogan, Kevin Hart interview, and he talked about his back injury. And Kevin Hart was a big lifter workout guy. And he thought, and the doctors even told him, he's like, I never lifted. I mean, some of it was vanity, but some of it was just, I felt better. And when I got in the car accident, because I had been such an active guy in the weight room, and this was an accident, it probably saved, and the doctors even told them that you would have been paralyzed. I mean, it just could have been a simple one inch here, one inch there, but maybe a muscle. And I think a lot of times with the athletes, whenever a normal human goes, yeah, I think my entire leg would have shattered right there. It happens a lot in football, right? And in the NBA. These guys are such freaks. But a huge part of it in the sport of football is the intense lifting in the offseason to build up then the summer where they train and then even in training camp to maintain this huge base. Now, I think George is unique. He's been taking videos of his home workouts. But that's not like these NFL teams, there's a reason they pay their strength coach. Some of them might make seven figures, you know, huge amount of monies to go through this huge amount of things all that are really intense. They feed them. It's just a huge to prep for the fall where these guys, I, I would imagine – the majority of the league, and George Kittle would fall into this category, is doing everything humanly possible, exactly what they would be doing if they would have been at their OTAs right now. Is it fair to say, though, it's not the same when you're just training with your guys and the intensity, and then immediately you got John Lynch is like, we got a bunch of smoothies for everyone. It's just everything's right there for you. That was kind of a Chip Kelly shot, but not really because you got to need smoothies after you work out. But my point is that you just wonder – it's difficult for these guys. They're, they're creatures of habit. And right now, even though so many of them are so locked in on that, right, they're working out as hard as humanly possible given their access to gyms or whatever. It's, it's just going to be difficult to be where even if you've done everything possible, you might only be like 85 where normally you'd be at 100 going into fall camp. Maybe there's less rest and recovery between. There's less hitting. It already isn't that much hitting. So your body, just that part of your body that gets built up. Especially for physical guys, right? I mean, guys that are right. just going to hit every play, and he's he's all one right. of them. But that's just – we're just covering all our bases there. Um, this is the, the – Guy went down know, the dark I, rabbit hole there. No, we'll stop it there. Let's- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.